series called Breakdown Moments, and uh, one of the kind of pivotal uh, verses or images from this for this series is the passage where Jesus says, "I'm," you know, refers to the passage of the chief cornerstone being rejected. So the cornerstone being rejected, uh, but if you land on this stone, you will be broken. If you if you run from it, you'll be crushed. And the idea behind it is that we can trust Jesus with our hearts. We can trust Jesus with our vulnerabilities. We can trust Jesus with openness. Let your heart just ooze, right? Land on the rock because he's got you. And sometimes vulnerabilities, or a lot of times, especially if you're a control freak, really scares us, right? We're afraid that things are all falling apart. We're afraid that we're not going to have it all put together. And what happens if we don't have it all put together? Right? We just might not be liked by people. We might just be labeled losers and failures. And um, what Jesus is saying is our confidence, our strength comes from him. So land on me. Because... If you go out and try to do it on your own, you're going to get crushed anyways, right? So might as well be broken on me. Amen? Amen. Um, so one of the seminal moments in the history of the Seattle Seahawks football club came in a playoff game against the, the Saints. Um, and in, in 2005, uh, we went to our first Super Bowl, uh, the Seattle Seahawks did, and we lost. Uh, and the refs made us lose, mind you. Uh, next two years, uh, we went to the playoffs and did okay. We lost in the, after the first round. Uh, but then we went 4-12 in, in 2008. And then in 2009, the Seattle Seahawks went 5-11. and 11, So we're based on a downward trend. We were on a downward trend. Uh, and then we hired a coach. Right from USC, from the college ranks, called named Pete Carroll, and he comes in and he goes seven and nine, and we make the playoffs for the first time um, in a couple of years, and so the wild card game is in Seattle, and everyone in Seattle is kind of in anticipation, but at the same time we're used to losing. <laughs> And we don't know what kind of team we have. We don't know if a college coach, Pete Carroll from a school, USC, that are cheaters and losers, <laughs> uh, could take us to victory. And um, so we didn't know how to be in. The Saints had Drew Brees, a known quarterback, a superstar, and a pro bowler. And uh, we just didn't know if we could beat them uh, and stop the high octane offense of the New Orleans Saints. But I'm going to play a clip for you, and this is the infamous or famous Beast Quake Run. And the reason why they call it the Beast Quake Run um, is because the cheers from the Seattle fans actually registered on the Richter scale uh, around in Seattle. And so because it was so loud. But the, it's seminal because it's this moment where um, the spirit of Marshawn Lynch his <laughs> unwillingness to give up and go beast mode, as he was known for, just 
uplifted the whole city in that moment when he broke through tackles and shoved people away, get off me, and just rumbled and stumbled to the end zone to seal the victory for us. And that kind of, that kind of, um, all of a sudden we went from that loser mentality or we're going to get beat or kind of like, this is Seattle, it always rains here, <laughs> to like, we're back, we're tough, right? We've got it. And so we're going to play this clip, clip really quick just to get behind the spirit. But that was the Beast Club quick run, and I remember watching that and all of us just jumping up and down and cheering and going crazy and hugging people we didn't know, strangers, I think we were at the Ram or something. And uh, it's the one thing that unites you with strangers, right? Sports and like crazy things happening. And uh, um, so it was a great moment. But it was also kind of a picture of what happens when a moment of strength or like a hero, a heroic act or a hero comes into a situation and empowers and gives, emboldens people and gives confidence. Because after that, everyone in Seattle, you know, you the water cooler conversations, we're like, yeah, we bad. Yeah, Pete Carroll, we got it. We're, we're, we're a franchise now, we're legit. Um, and it's interesting how our confidence can be uplifted by those types of things. And I love a good underdog story. And I love turnaround moments. I love the times where people rise up, right? Or the underdog, the small person, the, the person who, me being not a big person, like I like the David and Goliath story. I, I like the little guy who makes big. Um, and uh, Croatia versus France, if you're a World Cup fan, <laughs> even though they lost. Uh, uh, the little kid, you know, I have a confession to make. Sometimes I go on YouTube and watch little kid knocks out bully, right? <laughs> the kid that takes the bully out. Um, and I think we love this because deep down inside we love when the non-conventional, the unconventional usurps the conventional. When the marginalized rocks the boat of the dominant culture. When the disempowered and the voiceless find a platform and a voice and truly turn the tables. Right? Turning the tables, reversing things, the turnaround. Just love it. Um, and as we've been talking about breakdown moments or crisis moments, times that we've struggled as individuals or people around us who have struggled or whole, whole groups of people who are struggling under injustice or suffering or tragedy. Um, a pattern that we find is that amidst, amid our vulnerability and our need, we can find ourselves so very near the heart of God, amen, who hears our cries and is longing to rescue us and lifts us up in his power and his grace. It's the deep, dark cavern, lost, the drip drop of water on rock, the absence of light shiver when the whisper comes to us, rise up, rise up, rise up. So I want to be careful that when I, I talk about vulnerability and breakdown moments, that I don't make the mistake of over-spiritualizing tragedy or suffering. Uh, we know, obviously, the harm that can be done when Christian leaders stand up and say things like, 
that storm or that earthquake over there was punishment for sin. Mm -hmm. Or how violently trite phrases like, well, it's all for the best, mm -hmm. and God will turn this into good, can be when offered to people who are in the middle of crisis. AIDS is not a punishment from God, and he doesn't use hurricanes to punish entire nations. But what we do know and what we can say is that God is near to the brokenhearted, as the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 18, and crushed in spirit. We do know, as those who are suffering, uh, we do know that as those who are suffering mourn and weep, uh, Jesus is also mourning and weeping alongside them. Whether they know it or not, when we are weeping and we are mourning, Jesus is right next to us, weeping. When the mother, who doesn't know where her child is, is weeping and crying for her infant that's lost, Jesus, his heart is breaking. Just as Jesus' heart broke for the sisters who were weeping for their dead brother, Jesus wept. Jesus has compassion. Right? Jesus cries uh, with those who have lost homes and with family members in volcanic eruptions or the 33 who lost their lives in the cat-sized boat. Mm -hmm. Jesus weeps. So we have to remember that, that we have a God of compassion. We have a God of the oppressed, right? Who stand with people in the midst of tragedy. Um, and Jesus has an invitation for each of us. He's calling us to extend invitations to those around us. Land on me, build on me, rest on me, take my yoke upon yourselves, for my burden is light, and I love you. Let yourself ooze out on me, like pancake batter, <laughs> the image I used in the past, right? Just let go. Let your heart just ooze out on that hot pan with butter. Right? <laughs> you think you're just gonna lose control, but it's gonna it's gonna be round, and there's gonna be like the crunchy ring on the outside. That pancake, mm, good. And I'm gonna shape your heart into something new. I'm gonna make your life into something new. I'm gonna lift you up. So rise up, rise up. I know you. I've got you. I've got your back. Beast queen, beast mode. Rise up. Fight. Um, as our heart grows counterintuitively through openness and through vulnerability, you wouldn't think that, right? We're averse to those because we have survival mechanisms, right? Fight or flight. When we feel threatened, when we feel weak and vulnerable, we want to either fight, which is mine, I like to fight, <laughs> which would not be good, like the fighting pastor. <laughs> Or we like to run, right? <coughs> Jesus is like, stay right there. And we, you will actually grow in this time, in your openness and vulnerability. And in vulnerability and openness, we experience true confidence. Not cockiness, right? Not swagger. Well, maybe Christian swagger, as I like to call it. True confidence, true strength that the world can't give, right? Money can't give you, status can't give you, 
what kind of car you can't give you, what kind of rims you have on your car, can't give you, how high you can, can jump, can't give you, how good looking you are, right? This face doesn't really give me anything. <laughs> My wife's like, ain't that true? God's love emboldens us and we find our true voice, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. In God's love, we are truly unbeatable. Yes. Nothing can tackle us. So when we find Gideon, he is timid. He is afraid. And just a little note, background information about the book of Judges, since we all read Judges all the time. <laughs> right? Book of, that's where Christians learn how to judge people, right? The book of Judges? No, 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 no. The book of Judges uh, is in that period between when Joshua enters into the promised land and there's all the conquest, Israel takes the land. Uh, between that and when there are kings, the time when there are kings. Um, and so in the interim, God raises up judges who are like to fill in leaders. They're not prophets, they're not kings, they're like prophet kings. Um, just leaders to lead the people of Israel and to guide them. But in Judges, there's this pattern, this rinse and repeat pattern of the people of God walking away from God, turning away from God, living pattern, pattern of sin, actually turning to the nations around them and the, worship, and the gods that they worship and setting up idols, setting up temples, worshiping Baal, all of those things. And so then God uh, gives them up to those people, to their neighbors. Because you have walked away from them, go ahead, be with them. And they're going to lord it over you. They're going to be in charge of you. They're going to oppress you um, and whatnot. And so there's this pattern. And this has happened like three times already before the call of Gideon. The people are rebellious. God gives them into the hands of another nation. They cry out, repent, and God rescues them. And then new judge, uh, new leader. And then rinse and repeat, it happens again. And so this is what we're walking into as we witness the call of Gideon. But Gideon isn't your stereotypical or prototypical hero, right? He's like an anti-hero. When we are introduced to Gideon, he's in hiding. And it says, the scripture says that he's threshing wheat in a wine press, right? So back in those days, the way that they threshed wheat was you had to be up in the, you know, in the, in the air and the wind blowing ideally. And you would like shave or bang, you know, the wheat and the chaff, which is lighter, would blow away in the wind and the grain, the good grain would drop to the but what a wine press was is almost like a well dug into the ground, right? No wind, right? It's just hidden away from uh, potential people coming and stealing from them, the Midianites coming and stealing. Secondly, there's no vineyards anymore. You know, vineyards are a symbol of making wine, grape growing grapes, making wine like of abundance, of thriving, of doing well. The wine press is empty. And this is where Gideon is, right? Picking his grain out from the wheat. Picking his grain, doing it the hard way, in hiding, afraid of the people who are oppressing the Israelites. 
moments into this state, his breakdown moment, right? It, he's literally at the bottom of his white race, right? He's in hiding. But it says in the scriptures that God, earlier in the scriptures, that God hears the cries of his people. He hears the people cry. And where do you remember right, that refrain? Right? If you remember Exodus, right, the, the people are in, in Egypt in slavery. But it says God heard the cries of his people. God hears the cries. And that says something about God's heart. It also says, says something about the power of prayer, especially the power of corporate prayer, right? Or national prayer, right? People of people together, right? In suffering, crying out to God. God hears our cries. God hears the cries of his people. And with compassion, it moves our prayers, our cries moves God to want to rescue. To want to see, and that's 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 what we're talking about. Um, so God hears the cries of the people's people's hearts, um, and He sends an angel. An angel of the Lord sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Josephi the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, "The Lord is with you." mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And here we got to examine when the angel or when the God names people. Right? He usually names them or addresses them with phrases or titles that don't are not reflective of their current state. Right? And that's what Paul is. Right? When God called me to be a pastor, right, I was not a pastor. Right? <laughs> I was anti-pastor. I was like, my dad was a pastor, I'm a PK, I'm never going to be a pastor ever, ever, ever. I wasn't even going to church, right? I'm running from church. Um, I was watching football on Sundays. Um, not a pastor. But when God says pastor, he's saying, this is what I see. This is what I'm calling you into. Does he call you ambassador? Does he call you counselor? Mother, father, brother, sister, artist. What is God calling you that you're like, that is not me right now. I don't see it. And on that day, Gideon's like, valiant warrior, mighty warrior, what? That's, do you see me? <laughs> I'm in a wine press.
maybe in your prayer times, you're like, I'm at the bottom of my barrel, crisis moment. I used to be like, maybe it's the Korean in me, right? The tragedy, right? <laughs> yes, I'm in the worst tragedy, tragic place ever. So God will lift me up and get me a Lamborghini. Right? And get me, make me rich again, right? If I just weep hard enough. The promises in of Lamborghinis or new houses, right? Things in themselves, God provides for us, right? But the promise is his presence, right? And, and the deepness, the depth of the relationship, and ultimately being loved by our creator and our savior. So great and mighty warrior, and Gideon, pardon me, Oh, 
struck down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Not only do we turn to circumstances, right, to read our situation, to define our situation, we turn to inward to ourselves, actually to our insecurities and our lacks, the way that we fall short, right? I am nobody, and my family is a nobody. I don't have status, I don't have title. My tribe is the least in Israel. And in that least tribe, I'm like bottom of the totem pole. Right. When I tell people uh, that in high school I played football, people are like, yeah, right. <laughs> and you know, right now I'm about 180 and change. Um, and about five, five. Um, <laughs> but back in back in high school, I was also a wrestler, so I wrestled like 115, 1.108 my senior year. I dropped down, so I'd be at 108, same height, and then played football season. I try to put on a whole 20 pounds, so I'd be like 130 for football season. <laughs> so just like, like skinny as a rail and like small. Uh, and, and I would love it, right? I'm totally a victim of small man's disease. And so everything I did was to prove, like, no, I can do it, right? So I remember uh, at this time I was going to Shortcrest, and there was this big, like, he was going to go to college, did one college, like, senior guy, John Slater. He's like 6'4", 200-something pounds and it was my first practice and I was running the ball and the hole opened up right and, and this is in practice and I go through the hole and he's right there and any sane normal person would like cut right like run away use your speed <laughs> and I decided the coach was watching everyone was watching I wanted to make an impression so I just lowered my head and went straight into his chest right and I think I won that battle drove him back a little bit. And everyone was like, do you have a death wish? I'm like, I do have a death wish. I'm a mighty warrior. I'm going to be in the NFL. So some things are like, yeah, some things aren't logical, right? God, God can't do that. Um, but my point is uh, that we need to live in confidence. God is calling us to rise up. And sometimes we look at ourselves or at our circumstances and it stops us. They become our stumbling blocks. We're like, I can't do that. We can't do that. Renew is renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. We want to be a missional church um, that makes an impact in our neighborhood, makes an impact in our city, makes an impact in the world. And it's kind of like, this is like a big Sunday for us. Right? <laughs> like, having a little church, a little startup church like this, I make a difference. <clears throat> right? But God, right? God is calling us mighty church. Yeah. Yes. Mighty people. Yeah. Rise up. Am I not doing it? Um, won't I be present with you? Am I not going with you? Have I not sent you? Yeah. Have I not called you? Amen. 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 What is it in your life? 
What is God calling you to? What are the names that God has given you? Maybe you knew it and you felt it and you had confidence in God's presence and what he was saying and calling you to at one point in your life, but you've forgotten because life happens and hard things happen and your confidence got drained a little bit and you're like, I don't know, I've lost the swagger. I don't know what, where I'm going, what God wants to do with my life. I don't think I'm all that anymore. I, I used to think I was big time. I used to think I had my life under control. And now I don't. But at one time, God whispered to you, rise up. I see you. I know you. What was that? What has God called you? What are some of the obstacles in your life which keep you from living fully in the freedom and confidence of God's love? Right? What are the lies or the voices you over and over. I can't do that. I'm not that. The circumstances are too um, insurmountable for me. What are those voices? You can even, if you have paper, you can even write it down. We all have those lies. Where are the places in your life in which you feel voiceless or timid? Like Gideon and what are, what's your wine press right now? You're stuck. Maybe you feel stuck or trapped in a situation at work with your career, right? And you're like, I'm just gonna, I don't know how to, I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna be in my brain right here. That's all I know in this space. shadow of 